The scripture for today is from the end book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Before we read the word of God, let's pray that he will give us wisdom to hear his word. Father, would you quiet the distractions in our mind and in our midst and help us to hear you and you alone. Open our hearts and minds to what you want us to learn and absorb this morning. And we ask that you would be with Matt as he preaches your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Safety never takes a vacation. Those of you that serve in our day camp probably sick of hearing that. Little do you know that my main two forms of humor are sarcasm and repetition. I once told that to a group of kids I was leading on a camping trip, and the sweet little girl said, what's repetition? And my co-leader just saw the softball for me to say my two forms of humor are sarcasm and repetition. It wasn't that funny then. It's not that funny now. Here I am <laughs> repeating it. Because good teachers know the value of repetition. In balance, the importance of bringing things back up to make sure that they're clear. Whether it's having to do with safety or a classroom setting or in a sermon setting. And when I read verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, which I heard a new theory about why Paul wrote big this morning. I'm not going to share it with you because I haven't researched it. It was by another pastor. He's from Europe. Sometimes they're weird. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> fascinating theory about it. When I read verse 11, I think Paul's about to say grace and peace. I'm sending Timothy the typical ways that he concludes his letters. But instead, he goes back to the precipitating incident of these false teachers who were leading the Galatians astray. And it's negative in tone, as is the rest of the book. For those of you that have enjoyed this series, I'm sorry to tell you that it's over. For those of you that could never hear the word circumcision again and be fine, we are concluding our series on Galatians this Sunday. Paul is repeating himself to make sure that they understand 
And we learn a few new things, and I'm couching the, the title of the sermon as nothing but a new creation because of the beautiful way that he reminds them in the end of verse 15 what Jesus uh, did and what he offers by trusting him is a new creation, which is our self healed and made new and led into a life of life, of honoring him, loving neighbor, and serving the world. But we do learn something new, even as Paul is going back over the problems with these teachers who were saying, trust Jesus and receive this old religious mark of circumcision, and you probably need to keep the holy days. And they were increasing uh, their vigor and energy with which they were teaching it, and Paul is just beside himself to say to them, no. But we do learn something in addition that we didn't know from chapters 1 through 5, which is that those who were teaching this did not want to be persecuted, verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. If you read Acts chapters 13 and 14 alongside Galatians, you'll learn something about this story. As uh, It's one of those sections where, that we have the maps for when Paul was moving through um, the Middle East and then up into Europe in the area of Galatia, because Galatia is not a city, it's an area. He received all kinds of opposition from all kinds of people, including from some who feared God um, that were persecuting Christians, Jews and Gentiles. Verses 12 and 13 are deeply uncomfortable. For even those who are circumcised, this is verse 13, do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. I think Paul is saying they want to prove to these Jewish people that you listened to them and received that mark. That's so awkward and terrible. And the reason this is in the scripture is we have similar tendencies to believe that we need more than the Christ gift in us to be saved and to grow. Verses 12 and 13, though deeply uncomfortable, are also reminiscent of chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, which is direct and subtle at the same time. It's graphic and I think a little bit punny. Oh yeah, go back and read chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I think Paul makes a pun in his anger and viciousness. I'm just wondering exactly what verse 13 means, but it is troubling. And Paul is waving his arms saying, no, 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 no. It is the Christ gift plus nothing that saves you. It is the Christ gift plus nothing that grows you. And that is the beginning of a new creation, which is such a beautiful gift from God. Let me illustrate the gift in a very specific way. What letter grade would you give your parents for parenting you? If your parents are visiting this morning, sorry for the awkwardness. Some of you were parented very well. Others, it was a little good sometimes and bad sometimes. Well, 
if you then have children in moments of uh, purposefulness and not purposefulness because you're tired or amped up in energy, you're going to parent very similarly to your parents. Unless you've always given your parents a really bad grade, then you're going to do something that's the opposite of them, right? So you were yelled at a lot and you made a decision, you probably didn't even verbalize it, I'm never going to yell at my children. But trying to do the opposite of something isn't a thing. And this is where the gospel is so sweet. Hang with me. It's not going to tell us exactly how to parent, but it's going to breathe new life into us, giving us the time, the inclination to, before God, consider how best do I raise this human or these humans in light of his grace, mercy, and peace. Perhaps your parents were very quiet parents, and it was confusing to you. I have seen this often, in, especially in premarital counseling sessions, the reaction against that would be to over-explain to your children, which is not in and of itself a bad thing, but it can be confusing to kids, especially depending on their age. And in Christ, as a new creation, we get to learn to love and build something brand new that the world has not seen before. Even if your parents were exceptional, you're still given new life. That's an illustration. I don't know how helpful it is. I do know that uh, my daughter pulled this off once. Fans of Calvin and Hobbes? Calvin, go do something you hate. Being miserable builds character. She can't stop laughing. Is it not that funny? Am I not reading it? Was it too heavy of an illustration? I think that's hilarious. She put my glasses on, walked in. We don't remember what she said, partly because she then tried like six more times later for the joke, and it was like, it's not working anymore. You nailed it the first time. Let's just leave it at that. Chapter 6, verses 11 through 18 of Galatians is um, a harsh reminder, but in the midst of the harsh reminder is this beautiful truth that if you have trusted your life and your decisions to Jesus, then you're a new creation. And that affects everywhere that you go. It takes energy to remember that you're a new creation, especially perhaps this past week. All sorts of reminders of our old story and old ways, family systems and things like that. And a new creation does not need an old sign. And this is where we have similar tendencies as uh, Christians, as Presbyterians, as, as a church in this particular town. Because it is important that you understand this text. The reason that I go verse by verse through this book is I believe that's how we equip ourselves to remember what we've received in Christ and then to live in its light throughout the week. But there's a way that I could say, how often do you read your Bible? And I could be starting to tend towards the heretical teaching in Galatian, in Galatia. Heresy is leading people away from Jesus. Error is getting it wrong. Heresy is leading away. And to say you need this physical mark to be fully saved or to grow up is leading people away from the true Jesus, who is a gift that we then respond to with trust and gratitude and obedience, but we're responding to the gift. We're not doing that to receive the gift or to add to the gift. So there's a tone with which I can say... How often do you read your Bible? 
How do you read your Bible? The key question for our minds and hearts that influences how we do things is why. If we're doing it because we long to be gripped by God's love for us, and there's so much good guidance and help and encouragement and hope and peace to be integrated into our minds and emotions, that is a beautiful reason. But if somewhere in your being, it's like maybe God will bless me a little more if I study this way, this often, this rigorously, then we're falling into problems similar to the one that Paul's preaching against. Same thing with prayer. How often do you pray? I hope that it's every day, but the key is why? Because there's so much peace available for our minds and hearts that is already ours, but prayer helps us connect with it. But if somewhere in our being, or if the person standing in front with the microphone is like, you need to pray with it, or whatever way, every day, in order to, we're starting to tend towards that. And we have misunderstood and are now misapplying the gift, which is Christ in us. I remember when I was in college and I was growing in my passion for the gospel and for the Bible, and somebody would mention an author, and I'd be like, I don't know that author yet. I need to get that book. I need to read that author. I need to understand. I don't know if it ever sounds like that. I know that Presbyterians are sometimes people joke and say that Tim Keller's the fourth member of the Trinity for Presbyterians. Those of you that are chuckling, that's probably because there's a little bit of truth to that, and it needs to not be that way. If I mention an author, as another preacher does, it needs to just be like, oh, that may or may not be interesting, but not be pressury. Because the Christ gift is only a gift. It is not a gift partially given or partially given and partially earned. And this is actually why youth soccer is so maddening or hockey or marching band because we don't have a religion that says you can't do that on Sundays. So you have to be wise. And then in your wisdom, and your kid wants to play the sport, and then the sport feels like it's taken over your life. But you know that God isn't mad at you. But you know that being at church and engaging in rest and corporate worship is good. There are other religions that would demand that you don't do those things on Sunday and either state or imply that you're either not saved or only partially saved if you're not there every Sunday. But that illustration was really good because I wasn't shaming you for the terror that is youth sports. <laughs> Am I wrong? Tell me later if I'm wrong. Now would be a rough time because I'm only halfway through my notes. And listen, back to the practices. Prayer, scripture, conversation with other Christians, silence before God. These practices are essential for remembering the truth of Christ, the gift of Christ. I love when we sing the song we sang last week. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. That's how the next time we're tempted, 
It's a little quicker to avoid the temptation because we remind ourselves because our, our emotions and our minds are um, interacting with the grace and the truth of Christ. But those things cannot save us. They cannot grow us up apart from the Christ gift. They will not impress God. He's only impressed by the work of Christ, not by your activity. A new creation doesn't need an old sign because it has come back alive. <laughs> Steve, would you just skip to uh, point three for me? And all these great illustrations, I'm just going to leave them because I feel like the point is clear. A new creation doesn't need an old sign because it has come back alive. A young man uh, approached me about a month ago not yet a teenager even, and said, I'd like to talk about Jesus. This is one of my favorite things. We went back to Will Downey's office the next week because there's candy in Will Downey's office. If you didn't know that, now you know. Maybe he'll have to buy more for that reason. He has pretty good rules around how much candy you ought to eat at a time. And the reason that we're talking is this young man has received the sacrament of baptism but does not yet receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And he wants to. So we're talking about miracles. And he said, not only could Jesus calm a storm, but he could make a beautiful sunset after it. I said, yeah. And he talked about Jesus dying for his sins. I was like, isn't that wonderful news? And he said, yes. And then he said, and he rose again. And I could tell when he said he rose again that those were, that's language he has heard before. And I said, what does that mean? He goes, it means he came back alive. And that happens in us. That's what Paul's talking about when he says a new creation is what counts. We receive that power in us when we trust Jesus. And the reason I use that illustration is not only because it's beautiful language, but because that young man has received the sacrament of baptism, which doesn't save him. And he's going to receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, which doesn't save him. Is it essential to his energy as a Christian? Yes. Will it guard and guide him in ways beyond our understanding? Yes, that's why it's called a sacrament. And Paul says in verse 14, which feels like a zag to me, but he puts it in there, you know, zigzag, right? But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. In verse 14, he's reminding us of something, which is that even after receiving the gift of Christ, there are still voices of death in us and in the world. And he uses brutal, deliberate language. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul, how dangerous are the world's ideals and ways? So dangerous, they need to be choked, tortured, publicly exposed. We're used to the language of crucifixion because of church and Christianity. Do not forget how brutal and terrible and shaming of a way that was to die. So as Paul's concluding the letter, he's reminding the Galatians of how dangerous 
the world's ways and our own ways. The parts of you that are not yet sanctified. And I to the world, the end of verse 14, are dangerous. They will lead you into deathly habits and ways. new creation doesn't need an old sign because it has come back alive. Paul, with his large handwriting, is reminding them that that is what happened to the world in us when we received Christ and what happened to our ways as well. And now, we walk with peace and mercy. Go ahead and just move to four, Steve. Because peace and mercy have been purchased for us. And we get to extend them everywhere we go. I don't know how this Thursday was for you. I don't know what it was like to have family in town or to go be with family or perhaps be by yourself intentionally or perhaps be by yourself not intentionally. But if you're a follower of Jesus, regardless of the last seven days, you have actually received the peace of God. And now we offer it to one another. Paul's goal in writing is not only to combat these teachers, but to teach and emphasize and remind the Galatians that they have been reconstituted as a new people in the world who have received true peace and are therefore able to offer it. We cannot offer what we have not received. But if God has made, if we have been granted peace with God because of the work of Christ, we're then able to offer peace to those around us. If God in his mercy has pursued us in love and called us to himself, then we are merciful with one another. That's not all that we do. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We grieve with those who grieve. We correct one another, Galatians 6.1. We encourage one another, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. But the way he concludes the letter is the reminder that peace and mercy be upon them. That this community is a new community marked by love for God and for one another. In believing just wish I could take those two words back, but I can't. In trusting Christ, in being corrected in the error that they could add to their salvation or add to their growth as Christians, they are then reminded that they are a new people constituted for worship of God and love for one another. That is the point of the letter, even as it was full of challenging, visceral, graphic language because that's how dangerous it is to believe the gospel is anything but Jesus plus nothing.
you pray with me? God, we trust you that you have called this community to love and honor you, to serve one another, and to serve the community we find ourselves in. Jesus, we ask that you grip us anew, or perhaps for the first time, with a knowledge of your saving love for us. For those that are considering your claims and your promises and your gospel, Would you meet them in prayer and in thought, in conversation with others, that they might trust you and be filled with the new life of new creation? And Holy Spirit, would you bless us? Would you comfort us, convict us, and encourage us as your followers? In all the ways that we need comfort, in all the ways that we need conviction, we trust you and ask that you energize us to trust you this morning, this day, and this week. Amen.